Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. If you are in the world of strength and conditioning, you probably already know Ron McKeefrey. And if you're not in that world, we are happy to introduce you to him. The approach he's taken to his career and the level of mastery he's achieved in terms of changing a narrative, cultivating a community, and setting people on a path not just toward performance but to lifelong health and wellness is inspiring. He has twice been named Collegiate Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year, first by Under Armour, then again by the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Ron has worked with a variety of professional and collegiate teams. He's coached for the Bengals and the Buccaneers in the NFL, the Berlin Thunder over in NFL Europe, and the Kansas City Royals of the MLB. He's also done amazing things at the University of South Florida, University of Tennessee, and most recently, Eastern Michigan. He speaks regularly on the national circuit and has published an international bestseller in his book, CEO Strength Coach. If you'd like to learn more about Ron, check out his podcast, Iron Game Chalk Talk. It's always a good time sitting down with good friend of the project, Ron McKeefer. Yeah, shoot. You know, my, I've had the opportunity, Jim, as you know, to do some incredible things in my career and, and super excited, super humbled by it because, you know, as I talk about it and you, and you mentioned, you know, the, the NFL teams that I've worked for um, or being a head strength coach at 22 years old and in the NFL or, um, you know, the South Florida experience of helping build a program or Eastern Michigan experience of turning around a program that had been historically, you know, uh, not doing very well. Those have all, you know, been uh, incredible in my development, not only as a coach, but as a person, you know, and I, I think, you know, we're a product of a lot of people. We're a product, you know, you, you, you lift on the, the shoulders of giants, you know, I mean, you stand on the shoulders of giants and, and I've had tremendous teachers along the way. I had to, I didn't get the opportunities to be mentored under uh, many coaches simply because, you know, I, I, I've been a head, I was a head strength coach starting at 22. Um, but I think that what, what separated me from, I think, a lot of people, uh, I think two things that really kind of stood out in my career that have kind of helped me navigate this profession has been that I wasn't afraid to make mistakes and ask questions, you know. Um, and so it didn't matter if you were the, the, the best strength coach or it seemed like you were too far out of reach or whatever. I, I tried to, I tried to get to you. You know, if you had an answer that I was looking for, I, I was trying to find that and, and I would reach out to you. And then the other part I think is I took action. You know, I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not afraid to try it and see if it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, let's let, you know, that's just another way of not doing something. You know? And so I've been fortunate, you know, with those experiences and, and, and more importantly, the incredible people that I've gotten the opportunity to work with, be it, you know, pro athletes that we all know and know or the, the, the third string walk on player that can't walk and shoot gum at the same time. And but have an important part of my life as well. So I uh, appreciate I appreciate the kind words about it and then and, uh, willing to jump in anywhere you want to go with it. Yeah, well, I love that. I think I think. First of all, we have to linger on that, what you just said for a second. I think we are in the business of, of overall human development and specifically as it pertains to sports performance. And, and from our perspective, like you, we don't decide who the starting quarterback is. We have right. a roster of however many, and we make every single one of them as good as we're able to. right? And I think that's a unique thing about this space is that you don't 
like the judgment kind of fades away. Like you said, a third string walk on uh, or the, you know, the all American that's going to play in the NFL someday for you, it's the same, it's the same process. Um, what does that process look like? Like, how do you, how do you approach a big group of team with a, with a ro- wide range of abilities and experiences? Yeah. You know, I think my last experience in the, in the college setting with Eastern Michigan really, you know, I mean, I think as you go through this profession, you continue to learn, you know, you continue to, 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 to grow. And, um, I was able to go into a situation where they hadn't won in over 30 years. Um, you know, the, the team had just lost a player to murder. You know, was murdered on the team from the, the area, not being great. Um, you know, they, they had, uh, you know, 50 something players tested positive positive for drugs the first time we tested them gpa was two point whatever uh a racial incident on on campus i mean it was about as bad of a culture as you could you could walk into and uh and there's players on the team that had had made you know not very good decisions that were still on the team and so i kind of forced myself to walk into that situation not not looking at the roster not looking at the depth chart and just form my own opinions on guys. And, you know, as we talked a little bit off camera where I'm a, I'm a guy that kind of, you know, I can, I can be as, as intense, you know, as, as anybody, but I'm also, you know, I also have a heart to try to make a difference. And uh, here I am, I'm wanting to go into this situation and lay down the hammer, you know, right away. But instead what I found was these guys were just, they, they were, they were just beaten down, you know, they, and uh, you know, the, the guys that were there were the guys that stayed through it all. And, Man, and they're just like any of us. They wanted to win, you know, and and uh, they wanted to have a great experience. And so, I literally stood at the door for the first week and gave every guy a hug as they came in the weight room, you know. And that, you know, that broke that that breaking that kind of arm's length distance, um, that that human touch. Uh, I, I'm telling you right now that 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 single handedly probably got them to buy into me as quick as anybody, you know, as, as anybody and. Man, we had an unbelievable relationship. And I, I just go back to, I think as coaches, I mean, there's very few of us as coaches that are were great athletes. You know, a lot of times we get into coaching because we had to we had to work extra hard to, to develop. And that was me. I was a, I was a self-made athlete that found the weight room. And um, and so if I would have been on Eastern Michigan's team, I would have been a walk-on. I would have been a third-string guy probably. You know, and. Um, I always try to put myself in those shoes and, and yet, you know, know that, you know, I've, I've had an opportunity to make an impact with the small little role that football played in my life, but also every one of these players, men or women are going to go and they're going to end up leading their families, you know? And so we have an obligation to kind of foster and cultivate leadership amongst them. Um, because that, that, that profession of being a coach, that's a noble profession. I mean, that's an opportunity to make that kind of impact. And we're also dealing with a bunch of people that oftentimes are coming from broken homes that aren't getting that modeled somehow, some way. And so to me, that, that was an opportunity to do that. And then I think you just take the approach that you would anywhere else. You find who your influences are, whether or not they're first string or third string. And, and what people fail to realize is sometimes is that first string, all American future NFL player, they're usually best friends with that third string guy that can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Right. Right. You know, and so if you if you show them that you, if you show that person who's who's very used to a transactional relationship because they've been told by coaches how great they are and how much they care about them, but they really don't since they were probably in eighth grade. But then you turn around and you show their best friend, you know, love, 
you know, when you didn't have to, that stands out to people. Yep. Yeah. No, I totally agree. You, you're touching on, Ron, is like, I hope people are really listening to this because it is uh, the, I think, what one of the, re- one of the things that makes you distinct, one of the things that makes you uh, kind of ha- stand out as a coach, has led to a lot of your successes, but I think it's also one of the things that people should kind of copy and emulate more if they want to have success in their own field. There's no question. And you, I, like the intro to your podcast, I love it. Uh, you said you talk about. Correct me if I'm wrong in this, but a 25 pound plate on the field. Give me 20 minutes, I can have you hating life. Something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, you, you. I mean, you do that. You can do that for people. You can teach with toughness. You can teach toughness to people. Resilience. Create whatever you want. However you want to classify it. But there is a very clear, you know, push pull with like the human psyche that if like, if if you are only that. Right, then it's it's just not going to be absorbed. It, it, you have to have the counterbalance. If they don't know absolutely that you care about them, no matter right. what their playing time is, um, you can only push so hard before they start coming right back. Um, so to have it, like, I mean, I, lo- I I haven't heard that story, that hug story. Yeah, I mean, dude, that's amazing. Especially, and, and I don't want this is your podcast, so I don't want to talk too much. But I'm telling you, one of the things you said really touched me because I'm like. You hear the narrative all the time about like how a kid's maybe this this kid's only real shot at true mentorship and leader development might be getting on, going on to play in college and and learning the quote life lessons that would come from that experience. If that experience is not embedded with the stuff that you're talking about, then right. then it maybe it's not because all of a sudden you, you know you're you're I don't I don't think this is true but some might think your one shot was to go play ball somewhere. Um, and then you're, you're third on the depth chart. So you're being, you know, you, you're getting the cold shoulder from half the coaches because like you said, it's a transactional environment, unfortunately, sometimes. Um, what, what, a, what an incredible missed opportunity that is. Um, but yeah, so, so you obviously do it. Is there anyone else that you came across that does it well? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, I think, I mean, the, the one of the you know, two pinnacles for me in my career has been, you know, Chris Creighton, the guy I worked for at Eastern Michigan. I mean, I, he was, um, he was a 26 year old head, first time head football coach when I was a 21 year old senior, you know? Right. And so he coached me my senior year. And then that one year we were one and nine my junior year. And I was as, I was as competitive as anybody. I mean, I, I, I literally, I mean, it was, like the one of the worst years of my life. I was not a pleasant person to be around, and 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 um, and so he came in, and and long story short, I mean, he came in. We interviewed three people. I, I went to a little small NAI school, so I was actually on the hiring committee uh, along with a couple players, and he came in and blew me away. And there was another coach that was from our conference that had success, and he was a he had not been a head coach before. And so they were kind of leaning towards him. And I, I literally got up in the middle of the meeting and, and, and said, look, that's our head coach. And if not, I'm going to walk out of this office. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to get our, our entire team. And we're going to walk back in here and say we won't play. Wow. And, uh, and so I don't know if that made a difference or not, but we ended up hiring Coach Creighton. And, I mean, he changed, I mean, mostly because he, he had a, a strength program. Yeah, <laughs> that there you amazing. go. But, um, but – you know, he made such an impact on my life. And, and, and so this is NAA ball. He climbed the ranks. He was always a head coach. Knew he was a head coach, climbed the ranks. Um, and I told my wife that if he ever became a head football coach um, at a division one level, I was going to go, work, I was going to stop where I was working and go work for him. And so he got the Eastern Michigan job and I left the Cincinnati Bengals to go work for him. And 
um, just a just a, a strong Christian man, just a, a leader in every respect. Um, balanced fun with competitiveness, and and was was just unbelievable. And then Coach Dungey. I mean, Coach Dungey yeah. at, at Tampa Bay was is just an incredible mentor. I mean, a guy that I mean, like what you read and hear from him is exactly who he is. Yeah. You know, and and here's a guy that you know I remember sitting in, in Bible study with the coaching staff and. You know, everybody's a young coach and, and everything's about positioning yourself in the NFL. And, you know, and so not, you know, not any fault of their own, but just human nature. You know, every coach was trying to one up each other in this Bible study and talk about this, this passage or whatever and put on this little display in front of Coach Dungy. And he let everybody talk. And and then he just said like one little sentence and everybody was dumbfounded, you know, and it was just yeah, yeah. It was just that kind of. Just that kind of guy, you know, and and cared about. I mean, I was a part time and intern, um, but he would stop every day on his way in through the weight room and say hi. And I mean, I taught you that people. And I think going back to what you were saying earlier about you know transactional relationships, and I think what you realize ultimately in in this career, if you're in it long enough, is people in general make things work. It's not the it's not the equipment, it's not the facilities, it's not the you know, the scheme or anything. It's you got to have the right people and everybody that touches those people are important. Whether or not you're the janitor, the professor, the the academic advisor, the strength coach or whoever. And to me, it was, that was something that I didn't learn early. I didn't learn that. I thought strength and conditioning was the big piece of the pie and everything else was that little small sliver. And it's, it's quite opposite, you know, and you know, we have to, we have to embrace the people around us and show that and, and, and show our humility and, and not be a, a robot, you know, and I think when you stand up in front of players and, you, and you're, you're not pounding your chest and you have all the answers, but you're like, man, I'm a human being, too. It wasn't until I started doing that that the players start buying into me more as a coach yeah. as opposed yeah. to just a figurehead, sure. you know, and, sure. and that was something that um, I didn't learn early, but I learned late and, and um, has made all the difference. I believe that I that is that is the difference, I think. Um... One thing we talk about, and there's absolutely no disrespect to remote coaching whatsoever. I think it's great, and I think it's get improving and getting better all the time. But uh, I think that's what when, when that doesn't go well, that's what people miss. Um, right. You know, they you know you can we say this all the time. Like programming is an absolutely essential part of what we do. Right. But if you really wanted to, you could go to Lifetime Fitness and Google it, and somebody's yep. got a plan for you out there somewhere. Uh, you know, you could probably you know. The human element gets you gets you to do these things in ways that you wouldn't otherwise be able to. One thing that we talk about is, or we say is like, sometimes it's not the workout, it's the work ethic. You know, it's it's like, okay, everyone's got some variation of a squat in their program, but how right. are we doing it? Um, it, it? You know, posture, technique, the reciprocal coaching that comes with being around your teammates, the uh, encouragement. I, I, there there are components to it that are really hard to diagnose. Um, and maybe even replicate, and that's that's one of the things that makes this business so, I, not hard, but interesting, because each sure. coach brings his or her own flavor to it, and that's really what makes the thing special. It, you, one, you, so you mentioned uh, how every person uh, that interacts with the, the student-athlete is, is key. 
Um, do you have any advice or experience working with staffs? Like, you, dude, I know you just took on a huge project of essentially accumulating people. Can you talk a little right. bit about that maybe? And then, and then just how you, as a leader, make sure that the people who are representing you on your strength staff are having a similar impact with the athletes. Yeah, I think, you know, if you've ever read any of John Maxwell's stuff, you know, in, in the, the, the five levels of leadership, you know, that it goes that you've got that transactional leader and then you've got that, you know, that that um, permission based leadership, you know, and I think that that's ultimately what it comes down to is anybody. It took me a long time to realize that. And, and honestly, it goes back to what I wrote in my book about how. As coaches, I mean, we we went to school to learn the X's and O's of strength and conditioning and the sets and reps and you know and the science and all that, but we never took the 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 leadership course or the financial management course or the marketing course or what you know anything along those lines that really you know when you sit in the big chair that's the job. Yeah. You know. And just and so, I'm I'm not gonna cut you off, but CEO strength coach, look it up. Uh, I think we uh, first started to interact because I got that for Alex actually. Uh, around the holidays, but yeah, look it up. Uh, appreciate that. But, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, going through that as a young coach and having to, you know, basically learn how to lead myself and then turn around and lead others was, was instrumental. I made every mistake. I fired uh, one of, one of my closest friends is, is Graham Anderson. He runs a, a sports performance facility, uh, a sports performance for the entire YMCA's. Um, but I fired him for not coming in during a hurricane. I literally fired him and, uh, and then I had to hire him back, you know? And so I made, yeah. I made all the mistakes, you know, and, and the, the school made me hire him back. I didn't want to. Um, but now, you know, again, he's one of my closest friends now. And, and, um, so I made, I made all those mistakes, but I think, it, you know, ultimately what you have to do is you have to get to that permission based leadership. You know, you have to, you have to get to a point. And I think now it's a little bit harder for me because now, you know, my, my, my reputation kind of gets in the way a little bit sometimes, you know, that I've had a lot of coaches go on and have success and all those types of things. And so it's easy, you know, it's easier to recruit people, sure. but it's harder to recruit people based off the merits of what you're trying to do, you know? And, um, and so uh, for me, I have to work each and every day to kind of invest in those people somehow, some way. And I think anytime, you know, anybody can be a leader. And that's why I go back to like these, these athletes that we're working with, whether or not they lead anybody else externally, they're going to lead their families. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we have an obligation to kind of find out what that is and how we can help people. And that's ultimately what it is, is how can you help this person achieve their goals and, you know, and, and make little daily investments into that. And so that's everything from notes to emails to given resources. I mean, you said that you bought a book for your sister, you know, yep. I mean, those are the types of things that you have to do. And when you do that, it creates that, that blind loyalty where, you know, they're going to they do anything for you because you've invested in them um, long, you know, throughout the, for their, for what they want to accomplish, not what you want them to accomplish, but what they want to accomplish. And so many times as a leader, I think that's the key is not when you look at them and say, okay, this is what I think you're going to do. And they have something different. It's not what you think. It's what they think, you know, and, and, and if you do that, you find a way people are going to, they're going to follow you. And, and, and ultimately you may have that impact where maybe you have experience and wisdom on your side where you can lead them down a little bit different path. Mm -hmm. But, but you have to at least get that buy-in first. And I think that's a, a common mistake with coaches is, you know, they get hired at a, you know, whatever high school or college or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they go in and they're like, okay, I've got a degree, I've got certifications, I've got this experience, 
let me, you know, uh, you know, let me lead your team. And by the way, you don't get any input because I don't, I don't, I don't tell you that, you know, what plays to run on Friday night. So, you know, don't come tell me what to do in the weight room. And right. if you don't have that buy-in first, you haven't developed that relationship first, then nobody's going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, you're, t- you're totally right. It's funny, it, that comes up every so often. It came on when we were talking to Scott Caulfield not long ago. Uh, the business is about results and relationships, and that's it. And there's, you, there is no, you can't fudge that part in any way. I think it's, right. have, have you run into that? A lot of uh, strength coaches, I, I, I know that we've seen it in a variety of ways and a variety of levels, but that I don't tell this guy how to run the triangle offense. Why is he telling me how to clone, oh, you know what I mean? I think that's every young strength coach yeah, out there. Probably. I mean, I think every single one of them has that because, I mean, you, what you're trying to do is you, you've got pride in the fact that you've gone and you've got this advanced education and and you want to, you know, I often tell this story when I when I talk about, you know, biggest mistakes I made in coaching, but this is, this applies to young coaches as well, but you try to confuse, you, you confuse passion with emotion. Mm-hmm. You want to show them how passionate you are, but then you have an emotional response. So you lash out and you try to attack them on their turf. Well, I mean, that's that becomes a turf war then. That's exactly what it is, yeah. you know. And, and instead of that, I mean, I think you have to be – you have to play the long game. You have to be – you know, you have to show a different way of how you're passionate about that and, and manipulate – I think you got to be a master manipulator to be a real good, good strength coach. I think you got to play, you know, you got to play the long game, and you got to, you got to find your opportunities. So if you want to train three days a week, and the coach wants you to train two days a week, well, now instead of going in there and saying, "I don't tell you how to do this," you don't tell me how many days a week. You go in there and you find out what, you know, what's a team that he respects in the college level that you know that maybe trains three days a week, and you show him that. You know, you find other ways to, to do that. And by doing that, you create little small wins. And those small wins lead up to the ability to go in there with a big ask. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's totally right. And I, I wonder, let's sit there for a second because if anyone's listening to this and, and is curious, how do I jump the hurdle that's created when, a, when, a, when Coach X really believes that he or she knows what's going on? Like our, our, our experience has been much the same. Like you said, like we just ask people what they want. There's not right. many more compelling ways to to help someone than say, what do you want? Okay, now let's us figure out how to get you there. Um, you know, because what you might, what you often find when you ask like that is that you you identify barriers or hurdles that you didn't even recognize at first. Maybe he said he wants two days a week because there's so much AAU stuff going on. Uh, that they just couldn't find a third day. So you say, okay, what if we do, what if we've got a three day, but you know, we, we can lock in on Monday and Wednesday, and then we'll, we'll have two sessions. You know, we'll, we'll be here in the morning. We'll have a Thursday morning and a Friday morning. And you know, hypothetically, that'd be one way to jump that hurdle if that is the hurdle. Um, you know, the, and, 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 and the list goes on. You know, whatever, um, you have to first identify what someone wants, then identify potential barriers, then work through that process together, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's the old adage, you got two ears and one mouth, you know, and it, it's, you know, yeah, I give you that for a reason. And so you got to listen to what, you know, the problems are. Yeah. And, and those, you know, those are going to be your small, quick wins. Mm-hmm. Like if you can address those things that they think are the biggest problems, which they don't, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 when I first got into like the online space, you know, I, I created a website or I, you know, I wanted to create a website for camp business that we had to have. And so I, I went to one of my players and he charged me, I think at the time, 
the bill was $5,000 and he charged me $2,000 to create the website for me, you know, and he, that was what he did for his career. So I was like, all right, sure. No problem. Yep. And then, you know, like I did not know anything about websites. I didn't know like if, you know, how to move a logo from one side to the other, how to change, you know, anything. And so like he earned every little bit of that $2,000 because he, you know, and he was just like, it had to be the stupidest questions that I was asking him, Right. Right. you know? Um, but then I learned it. I learned like how to use WordPress and how the back end and all that. And so I was like, well, man, maybe I should try, you know, let me try this. And I, I tried to create the exact same website with my, with Ron And, uh, and then I just went through it and I basically created the same process for like 15 bucks. And I'm like, you know, and so like, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I think it's the same thing with our coaches. Our coaches don't know what they don't know. But if you just go on there and say, you're an idiot, you know, they're not going to respond, you know? And so ultimately I think that that's what we got to do is we got to go get those small, quick wins, you know, find ways to kind of give them what they're wanting. And then when you do that, you're going to gain momentum and go. And I often talk, I always, you know, it seems like I, t- I talk about this book all the time, but, um, you know, there's a book switch by Chip and Dan Heath. And, uh, if you've never read any of Chip and Dan Heath's books, they're the, like, their four books are the best coaching books out there. Um, they're my favorite authors and this book switch, it talks about changing a culture. And that's ultimately what you're doing when you're, when you're dealing with situations like this, you're changing a culture. So they give the, they give the, the uh, visual of a man riding an elephant down a path. And, you know, the man is the rational mind, the elephant is the emotional side and the path is a situational world. And so like, if you want to lift th- three days a week and the tr- coach is only doing two days a week, well, you should be able to go in there with the research and say, hey, coach, the research shows three days a week. This is X, Y, and teams doing it. We should go three days a week. And you're speaking to the rational mind. And sometimes that'll work. Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe they're educated and, they, and they, they're willing to be open about it. And they're like, okay, that works. Most of the time they're going to be like, nope, we got practice schedule and this, that, and the other. And so you got to tap into that emotional side. So now the emotional side is, okay, what do they, you know, they all want to win. They all want to be somebody they're not. You know, and, and so now how do you tap into that? You show them other programs that are going three days a week or you, you know, you, you find, you know, uh, you tap into the players and you and, and you get the players, the leadership council to go say, hey, coach, we want to go three days a week or whatever. Then the third side is that emotion is that situational world, you know, and so sometimes it's obstacle driven. Sometimes, you know, maybe you can't get to the weight room and back and get to the showers and get to class or or to or to lunch on time. So maybe you gotta you gotta remove the obstacle and say, okay, well, coach, we'll be that maybe that third day we'll be out on the field for those last 20 minutes of practice, you know, and you and you remove an obstacle. So I think anytime you're trying to change culture. You got to look at all three of those areas, really find out what the pain point is, where, where you have the opportunity to really make an impact, but then make always come at it with all three of those things in mind. Yeah, no, I think it's really, really good advice. And I hope people were writing that down uh, because so often we have if anyone listens to this podcast regularly. So like maybe my mom and a couple other people, uh, <laughs> but um they, they'll have heard this saying over and over and over again, but we don't stray for, from it. And it's, does your behavior match your goal, right? And if, and if you start the process with, uh, you know, what ultimately is the goal? Is the goal to prove to this coach that you know a lot about strength and conditioning? Then sure, go in like, you know, both guns blazing and, and, and slam doors, you know, do whatever, do your thing. Right. Um, or is your goal to help a set of student athletes reach their ultimate potential? 
If so, then you go through the sometimes, and I think this might be part of it, the sometimes more laborious, more labor-intensive process of everything that you've just talked about. Uh, it, right. does, it does take a little bit longer. You do have to be a little more thoughtful and conscious of, of the and empathetic in certain at certain times. But again, if your goal is to make them the best that they can be, then the back end is what matters. So you go down that path. And if, and if you do that, just like with any relationship, once you get to that point where they trust you, then that sh- that bond is really really tight, you know. And that's why I think that every staff that I've ever been on, I've I've, I've worked my way. Maybe I was I didn't start there, but I've worked my way into the trusted source. For that head football coach, you know, or that that athletic director, and I think when you do that, you know, that they will value what you say at that point, and you can really make some big change. I think that's awesome. That's amazing advice. So here, here's one of the um, here's something else I want to know. I've seen a lot of, of uh, videos of you mountain biking recently. Is that is that true? Are these uh, they yeah. aren't staged in any way? This is real stuff. No, I'm going. I'm going right after we get off. Actually, are you actually? Yeah. There you go. So, so one thing I'm curious about is is how do you keep a foot um, in this world? Like, what's your own practice? You know, um, actually, if you, if you wouldn't mind going back a little bit, you mentioned you were the hardworking athlete uh, back back when in your playing days. Can you tell us a little bit about that, and then how that's trans- transitioned into um, a working a working man's sort of day to day S and C. Yeah, I think. Um... I was I was not the most athletic. You look at my family; we were, were not a, a family of athletes. But uh, but I go back to missing that football and wanting to be a quarterback and wanting to be a quarterback at the highest level. That I I just had a, a a goal of being great at whatever I did, and that's that's something that I've done with my kids too. Where it's like, look, once you're a sophomore, you know, up to your sophomore year, you can do whatever you want. But once you become a, a junior, you're going to choose to be great at something. I don't care what that is. That can be sports. That can be drama. That can be whatever. And you got to work towards that and you got to strive towards it. And, and so nothing came easy to me. Academics didn't come easy to me. Athletics didn't come easy to me. Um, but I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted, I, I wanted to have a different life than what I had had growing up. And so, um, so that worked, you know, that was, that was something that I just, you know, wasn't so much that I liked lifting weights I and mean, I still don't like lifting weights to be honest with you. It's not, it's not, you know, it's therapeutic to some degree, but yeah. You know, but it's uncomfortable, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, and so, um, but I just did it because it was something that was going to help me do what I wanted to do, which was change my life for my wife and my kids and, and all this, you know, and I didn't even know that when I was a 21 year old, you know, senior in college or whatever, but, right. but I mean, my, our, the head football coach, Chris Creighton will always tell you, he'll tell you this story. If you met him and you asked him about me, he would tell you that my senior year, I had a bad workout with the team, I, I missed uh, some cleans and I was pissed off. And you know, I was—I mean, I was—I was acting like an ass, really. Yeah. <laughs> but I turned around and came back. I mean, I couldn't wait to get out of class. I freaking—I think I left biology class early to come back. And that later on that day, I'm—I'm I'm up there and I'm doing the whole workout over again. And you know, Coach Creighton came upstairs and he's like, "What the heck are you doing?" And I was just so mad about you know not having hit what my goals were for that day. Um, and so that's kind of carried over into everything that I do, you know, that carries over. And I, I think now from a, now it's, now it's, it's harder because, I've, you know, I, I thought I was the busiest man in the world as a strength coach working in the collegiate or professional setting. And there I was focused on the off season and then the in season and the spring ball. And, 
you know, the whole deal. But now I, I literally change, you know, I might be shooting a TV show this day and turn around and fly into China tomorrow. And, you know, next day, you know, shooting a podcast and what, what I have to flip, you know, pretty, you know, so I have to, now I have to trick myself into finding those opportunities. And so, I mean, what I do is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I lift. It's you know, one of the first things I do in the morning. Um, and then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I mountain bike. And I, I do both because lifting, it, I, you know, I lift because I'm a strength coach and I think it's important for me to continue to lift. Yeah. Mountain biking, I do it because it's the only form of meditation that I've found to work for me. You know, and I think, you know, I've tried all the, the entrepreneurial guru meditation techniques and, and all those types of things. And, and I can't close my, I can't shut my mind off. You know, I think that's the curse of an entrepreneur to some degree. You know, I just can't shut it off. But if I'm freaking flying down a mountain well, on a mountain bike, if I'm not thinking about the trail, then I'm going to eat a tree really quick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I have to shut my mind off and, and think about, you know, and focus on what I'm doing and be in nature and, and all that. And so um, I wish I would have found mountain biking a lot sooner because it's it's been freaking incredible for me. But I think that's the takeaway message. I think the takeaway message is, you know, when I was in the college or the pro setting, I would lift because that was my time to, to check out from being coach and administrator and manager and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, now it's it's both. It's a way to get out of doing the day to day. But then also when you add the mountain biking in and things like that, I think it's it's therapeutic and that it's it's just my way to kind of to get away from the world for a little bit. I love it. I think that's a, I think that's also really good advice. And it makes sense. You've if, if the sitting still didn't work for you, because mindfulness, some sort of mindfulness practice, like you said, it, it's everywhere now. And I think it's super, I think it's especially important in a world like where your phone is a supercomputer and everyone's fighting for your attention. So some sort of mindful practice makes sense. But it sounds like you keep trying and you and you found your thing. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I think mindfulness, I think it's something that I've talked about quite a bit lately too is, is – um, you know, I, I think when you're, when you're in this field, it's hard. And when you're a type A personality, it's hard to, to, to kind of buy into all that, you know, yoga and mindfulness and meditation and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, all that is, is forms, it, it's routines. I mean, so, I mean, I think having a morning routine, having an evening routine, you know, those are, that's, that's a form of mindfulness, you know? So every day I get up, I come in, I eat my bowl of cereal, I do my, my daily devotional and it's, that's, that's my mind, you know, that's my that's morning it. routine. You know, and, and I think that that's, I think as coaches, we have to find those, you know, that consistency, because when you have consistency, there's, there's, um, you know, there's a piece that comes with consistency. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in our world, when you're going to walk into the buzzsaw every single day, you got to have that, those moments. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and- what you're talking about is spot on. Even in the research, you mentioned some people like to appeal to the logic. I I generally like to know the back end of the things that I'm trying to give to other people. Um, Mindfulness works in the appropriate settings. You are, in some way, um, rewiring your brain. And I I won't jump to any conclusion as to how or what the implications of that might be, but you're doing something really similar by, like you said, just having a morning habit sitting down, getting your thoughts down on paper, whatever it might be. You know, the research is divided into two groups. It's focused attention and open monitoring. And I think maybe the open monitoring is more what people think of as like the, you know, the maybe the lotus position fully cleared, which is hard for a lot of people to do. But focused attention sounds like 
sounds like you do practice mindfulness every morning. Right. But I, but there yeah. is a stigma around the the word mindfulness too. You know. Sure. So that and that's an important thing. That's actually a really important thing. If say it's something that you thought could help a basketball player be better at locking in and shooting free throws, uh, but he's a, but he doesn't like the word mindfulness. Is there a different yeah. way to kind exactly. of get into that? Yeah. I think that that's exactly and you did a better job of framing it but i think that that's like in our world and especially in that alpha male type of environment you're not going to go to to that six eight basketball kid from freaking wherever yeah um from the inner city new york and say hey let's 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 practice some mindfulness tomorrow you know he's gonna be like right. all the way from, yeah. maybe not know. but if you can reframe it yeah, I think again it goes back to that master manipulator. I think you you have to find ways to get what your goal is accomplished in any way that you can do that. And and I think that's where a lot of strength coaches make the mistake is they they live only in that strength and conditioning bubble and everything is a strength and conditioning reference. But if you if you if if you can't pull from other sources um, and and be relatable, you know. Because uh, chances are there's only going to be like maybe 0.05% of the people that you coach that are going to go into strength and conditioning. Right. You know, so right. <laughs> you're just not going to reach all of them with those types of references. So I think you got to find ways to pull from other sources and then turn around and take some things, some practices that are that work in other disciplines and apply them to our field. Mm-hmm. I think it makes total sense. And another th- sort of tagline that we throw around around here a lot is do you want to be right or do you want to be successful and if you want to be successful and, and, and improve a great amount of people you've got to you can't be one dimensional um, coach Nadal makes fun of me I think sometimes because I we it, it, we are not uh, it would not be unique for us to reference quantum physics in the weight room or Emerson or, or the arts in some way right and, and, and that's one of the reasons I think that our reach has been um, we've been able to expand it so um, awesome. Yeah, no, and, and and you're awesome. This is all amazing stuff. I know that he is itching to get what we have uh, referred to as the Coach Nadal in the lightning round. So are okay. you open to a couple uh, quick hitter questions to finish this off? Let's Love do it. it. Get it. All right. Lightning round. Lightning round. We'll jump right into it. Uh, what would constitute a successful day for you? Uh, that I'm able to put my head on the pillow and know that I did it. I, I got everything accomplished that I had set to get out accomplished for the day and that I was able to kiss my wife and kids. Favorite book unrelated to your field? I, I go back to those four books from, from Chip and Dan Heath that are they're not transition books; they're more business or leadership books. Um, but you know, uh, Power Moments, Switch, Made to Stick, and Decisive um, have been really, um, really, really powerful books that I've, I re- I go back and, and acknowledge daily. Who would play you in a movie about your life? Well, it's got to be freaking somebody good looking right. and a star, Definitely. you know. Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think I'm a Rocky type. I think I'm an underdog that that you know just kind of just did a little, did a lot with a little. So maybe maybe like a young Sly. Yeah, like a young Sly. There you go. Or, um, my wife would tell you that I'm uh, Johnny Bravo, the, car- the cartoon would be my my character. There we go. That counts. Yeah. Could, we do not specify. It could be an animated film. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you had 30 minutes and access to any equipment, what would you do? Um, I would go back to my high intensity days. I think that that's you know I think sometimes when you have a little bit of time, you got to make a big impact. You got to 
you got to drop somebody in the grease to make them understand and respect you. And then you can kind of pull back the reins and, and really do proper progressions. But if you just go in there and you're, you slow play it and you talk, you know, you talk technique and real passive and all that, I think you're going to lose people. So doing something high intensity is going to be safe, but it's going to, it's going to drop them in the grease and, uh, and then they're going to, they're going to respect you in the long run. Last one. Uh, there may be many, but publicly thank one person. My wife, I mean, she's my best friend. She's the smartest person I know. Um, she's the person that motivates me to be a better person and, and um, you know, strive to be the, the leader of our family and, and do all the things that I'm doing. Awesome. That's a great answer. Yep. Love it. I like it. All right, man. Uh, that's probably all we have for you today. So I really appreciate awesome. it. I hope, you, uh, I hope the trails are, are dry out there and uh, ready to be ridden is that what you say <laughs> ready to be rode i don't ready know <laughs> either way i hope you have fun on the trails no man. no it'll be fun i go we got about 20 of them close to my house here so we're gonna we go out and get a i've had to start doing i mean just like we talked about i, I had to start throwing something in the morning active something in the afternoon active something in the evening active or I'm, i just i'm not the same person so yeah. um but guys first and foremost and and to end it off i mean i truly appreciate you guys taking the time to have me on the show, but more importantly, to have a resource like this for, for people that are listening. Um, I know how much work that takes. I know how much, it, you know, it goes into it. And, um, you know, it's a testament to who you guys are as, as people to not just be practicing it every single day, but then turn around and try to, to, to educate or help others along their journey as well. It's, it's noble and appreciated. Well, I appreciate you saying it, man. We're happy to do it. I think we have, we have similar charges, so you get it for sure. Awesome, man. Thanks so much. This episode brought to you by Hand Armor Chalk, the official chalk of USA Weightlifting. They are also the official sponsor of the Illinois High School Powerlifting Association, a partner organization overseen by the Good Athlete Project. We would not support a product we didn't believe in. Check them out at Hand Armor Chalk on Twitter and Instagram.